0: This episode of Medic Mindset is supported by iSimulate. From the very beginnings of this podcast, I've been committed to keeping Medic Mindset always and forever free. Their support allows me to do that. Thank you, iSimulate.
1: It just blows my mind that there's people, there'll be an amazing lightning storm outside and they're just like sitting inside at the station. I'll do this a lot, like, guys... Have you seen this light (laughs) light show out here? It's the drama of, okay, you know, we've got this warm, humid air rolling in from the Gulf of Mexico and this cold front crashing down from the north. It's like Mm -hmm. the battle of the century about to (laughs) go down, you know? And then just to sit sit there and watch it unfold as it literally explodes and these huge thunderclouds roll out.
0: Welcome to Medic Mindset. I'm Ginger Locke. Recently, I asked a paramedic during a CE training this question, do you consider yourself a lifelong learner? And I found his response so authentic. He quickly and simply said, some days. And that struck a chord with me because I related to it. In order to learn, you have to come to the education rested and recharged. And so that's what we're going to do in this episode. Simply listen, rest, enjoy the story of one paramedic's love for meteorology. And as we listen, we might reflect on our own hobbies and passions outside of EMS. His name is Taylor Kellogg, and we sat down on my patio on a beautiful spring day, Hummingbirds, and deer and other chirpy birds keeping us company, as we discussed wide-ranging things like the time he and his wife briefly lived on a goat farm, how storm chasing requires a similar mindset to the one needed in EMS. How the weather allows us to connect with people from all backgrounds. How he saw the good and the ugly in humanity during a natural disaster. And we dabble in what the big winter freeze event in February of 21 was like for him. He's a dad, a paramedic, a musician, and a storm chaser. Listen in. So you grew up in California?
1: I did, yeah. Which part? San Diego.
0: Oh, that's the best.
1: It is. There's not a lot of places, at least in the United States, that I'm aware of that you can go to the beach, the mountains, and the desert in the same afternoon.
0: So the weather in San Diego is pretty stable.
1: Yes. So there's fire season, and then there's winter, which is like the rainy season.
0: But never snow? No. Did you surf?
1: Uh, Not really. I mean, I boogie boarding. Uh-huh. The cool way to say it is body boarding. hmm <laughs> Because boogie boarding is what kids do. Yeah. Bodyboarding. It's like when you got the fins and you're like...
0: Did you do all that? Yeah. With the fins and everything? Yeah. Did you have to wear a wetsuit or is it warm enough?
1: Uh, No. The Pacific Ocean is freezing. That's what I thought. Yeah. I had a wetsuit.
0: I do scuba, but I've never dove off the West Coast. I've always imagined it being cold and murky, kind of.
1: So La Jolla. Have you heard of La Jolla? Mm Mm-hmm. There's some amazing diving and snorkeling there. And the water's pretty clear. And there's these huge kelp forests... And they're like hundreds of feet. That
0: would creep me out.
1: Underwater trees, basically, of kelp. And you can dive down in them and there's like big fish and seals and sharks.
0: That's where they put the bodies. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you decide to move to Texas?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was in paramedic school. My plan was to be a fire medic because that's what you do.
0: Uh California. Yeah,
1: that's what you do. I mean, that's where the money is. You know, all of our instructors in paramedic school were, were firefighter paramedics. The medic program was very much geared towards this is what you're going to do. You know, we did like PT and we all wore like Class B fire style uniforms. And that was my plan. And uh, right at the end of paramedic school, we found out my wife was pregnant with twins.
0: Hmm. <laughs> and so were you.
1: And so was I. <laughs> we, yeah. Around that time, my father in law, my wife's dad, we were all like having dinner one Sunday evening. And he said, I want to retire and move to Texas. And that was completely out of the blue. We had never spoken of leaving California or we didn't know anyone here. He'd been here on business and that was it. So in, in our minds, Texas was like this flat, hot, dusty place with lots of cows. and Same here. I knew, I knew nothing.
0: Yeah, I moved here from Georgia and I had the same vision, although I had been to Austin, so I kind of yeah. knew.
1: We started thinking about it, did some preliminary research, and obviously the cost of living was a big part of that, what you can get for your money. In California, this was 2013, so... The prices have evened out, unfortunately, here. Yeah, because
0: all of you guys came here.
1: Well, yes. Sorry about that.
0: (laughs) I'm not. I like the California influence of Austin, Central Texas. Yeah.
1: We started doing research, and I was like, wow, I could actually buy a house. And here I am, wife pregnant with twins. I hadn't done fire academy yet, so I was finishing paramedic school. You know, I I was researching being a fire medic here, but then I was like, wait, that's not really. We started our research with Austin. Mm-hmm. because he had been here on business and he knew he wanted to be in the greater Austin Metro. And so I was looking at fire departments around here. and I was like, wait, none of these fire departments really do EMS. Like they're mostly just BLS. Yep. Yeah. In paramedic school, you know, everyone has heard of Austin, Travis County, which is pretty amazing if you think about it. Yeah. I had never been to Austin, but somehow in paramedic school, I knew about Austin, Travis County.
0: I think they're the biggest third city service yeah. in the country.
1: Right. I saw that. At the time, you had to start as an EMT. I just expanded my research and ended up where I am now at a, another great third service. And that's where I've been for the past nine years. Oh, there's a deer right there.
0: Yeah, you're going to see you're, a lot of you're, them. You're, this is so cool. <laughs> you're going to see little, hopefully little babies, although I don't think there are many babies right now. It's so cool. Oh, there's another one. Sometimes the bucks get like, you know how they get um. Yeah. We're like in
1: Austin and there's just deer. Yeah. See, this is one of the reasons I love this city. So we f- found this other good third service through, through research and they happen to be having a, a hiring process at the same time as Austin. So I put apps in and both came out, interviewed, loved the area, came home. I wasn't done with paramedic school. Mm-hmm. I was still on my final internship in California. You do it all. You do like all your classroom, all your didactic, all your clinicals, and then all your field rides. Right? There's never really anything mixed in. It's just like big blocks. So I was with my preceptor basically full time with, with him in downtown San Diego. And so did the hiring process came back. A couple of weeks later, got a call from the department saying they're offering me a job. I turned to my preceptor and I said, hey, uh, I have a job lined up in Texas. He's like, well, you better pass then. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I had like two or three weeks left. But that was, that was pretty nerve wracking. Because so this was my second internship. I had failed my first internship. Oh, so it was yeah. pretty high stakes. Yeah. yeah. My first internship was with a very good, but very, not very slow, pretty slow, call volume wise, fire department. And they were just super disciplined, good medics, but super disciplined and very strict and rigorous. And they failed a lot of people. Hmm. For And what? I just wasn't ready. Like
0: for performance?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And we had like two to four calls in a 24-hour shift, and you just, you had to perform, and I just didn't.
0: It's hard to get in a rhythm. It's so hard to take their feedback and incorporate it and do something different. The next call, that next call could be like eight, ten hours later. Right.
1: Yeah, it was tough. It was definitely a blow. I was 22 years old. I had had only worked, you know, in a facility, and I just wasn't ready. Thankfully, I was able to get on another internship. I didn't have to do the whole program again. I was just able to basically start over because... I had good instructors and they understood that I just wasn't, just that wasn't talent. the right spot for me. Yeah. So I got hooked up with a, a preceptor <laughs> who at the time was the oldest working paramedic in the city of San Diego. He was like 64 or five or something. Huh. We were on a, a noon to midnight shift, which was a really cool shift in mm-hmm. the city on a float unit. And we just drove around San Diego just running calls. And it was awesome.
0: You got the volume.
1: So much volume. Yeah.
0: They have a large homeless population, right?
1: Yes. Yes. So
0: that's a lot of just calls.
1: Just a lot of calls. Yeah. yeah.
0: Which is what you need as a student. Like, oh, yeah. You don't need the high acuity. You need to learn your rhythm and your, your flow.
1: Yeah. It was may have been on your podcast or a different one, but I heard someone say you you can't be good at recognizing the abnormal until you're an expert in what's normal. Yeah. I
0: think that might have been Jay Smullen that said that. And I've heard many people say that. And that's one of the things I've enjoyed about we go with our students to the ER and I just get to see the volume of patients I never got to see in the field. Right. Cause we just got room to room to room.
1: Yep. Yeah. That's it's so true. Obviously, I end up passing, and uh,
0: I think that's good for people to hear because you've had you know success in yeah, your career, tremendous yeah. success. And
1: I, I like to be open about it. People need to know that you can fail and still just keep trying and still come out you know where you want to be with you. as far as your goals. You can't give up.
0: Because honestly, paramedic school is just not enough time. I think we probably not we my department, but just like the we, the EMS education, the whole bit. I think we put a lot of people out that just aren't ready. Right. And that just ends up putting stress on them. Yeah.
1: Well, and it's tough because, you know, there's, there's definitely people that just aren't meant to do this. But on the other hand, there are people that can be very good at this. They just need time. That's a hard thing to balance, especially in my role um, overseeing the FTOs on my shift is, dealing with new people like that it's like we have to differentiate are they just not meant for this mm-hmm. if they're struggling or do they just need time
0: i want to chase that a little bit because i hear people say that like they're not cut out for it they're mm-hmm. not meant for it is it their um psychology or is it their cognitive like is it their temperament isn't meant for it or is it that they just really can't get to that level of academic understanding
1: in my experience it's it's not the academic part because in my experience, you can sit down with a lot of these people and they, they can tabletop their way through a scenario, no problem. You know, mm-hmm. it's when you put an actual alive person or not in front of them yeah. and <laughs> tell them to go. You know, EMS is just, it's such a weird job. Yeah. It is so weird. Yeah, It's so dynamic and you have to make so many decisions in such a short amount of time. And oh, by the way, these decisions mean life or death. <laughs> so it's it's wild. It's such a hard thing to explain to people what we do.
0: Because it's so multivariable in terms of the acuity level. Yeah. I mean, you could run one call that's just high acuity and the next one is very mundane. Oh, yeah. And you've got to be a good medic to both of those people right. and families and stuff.
1: Sometimes what people need is has nothing to do with medicine. They just need you to be nice to them and take them to the hospital. <laughs> yeah. Often. Yeah.
0: So you landed in Texas.
1: Landed in Texas. Did uh, she
0: have the babies after y'all got here?
1: Yeah. So we drove. She was mm-hmm. 36 weeks pregnant with twins. Oh. We drove. We did it over four or five days just because in my 1997 Toyota 4Runner, <laughs> that, was, <laughs> <laughs> that was rough. It was fun. It was an adventure, you know, young and married and pregnant and moving to a new state. But we got here and... uh it's the craziest story. I want to tell you this because yeah. it's so cool. We we knew we wanted to buy a house in the area of the department that I got hired with. We were working with this realtor, but we needed a place to stay just while we found a house. And we had gotten pre-approval with my offer letter from the department. We we needed a, basically a short-term rental. And he's like, hey, I have this friend from our church who has a guest house on his goat ranch. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, huh, Okay. He's like, he'll let you stay there for as long as you need. He, he's he got a son and a son-in-law who work for AFD. He understands. Uh, let me hook you up with him. So super nice, nice older guy. We ended up living there for about three weeks while we found and purchased and closed on, on a house. The part about moving to Texas that I remember the most, it was that sweet time period in that house. It just... My wife, who can barely walk because she's so yeah. pregnant. I hadn't started my job yet. I was you know, just a couple of weeks out from starting. And so we basically just hung out every day, yeah. hung out with the goats. Like literally, there was hundreds of goats that we would just go and uh, feed. And this was summer, so it was like 108 degrees every mm-hmm. day. And that was another thing like, whoa, what do we get yeah, ourselves yeah. into here? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's hot.
0: I'm sure she was loving it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, she, she stayed inside on the couch most days.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but then one afternoon, clouds built up and uh, I heard the thunder roll and lightning struck probably within a quarter mile from where we were staying. And I was like, this is awesome. This is why I moved here.
0: I, I, <laughs> do, I do love the drama of the thunderstorm. And I grew yes. up I grew up with them in Georgia. We had like summer, almost every summer day you had a little... Storm, Yeah. And I missed that when I moved here because it's not as frequent as it is in Georgia. Right. But San Diego, they don't get any of that, right? No. Like thunderstorms is not that. The first time
1: I ever saw lightning and heard thunder was when I was like eight or nine visiting family in Illinois. Like first time ever. I can remember seeing lightning once or twice in my 20 years of living in California. That's one of the things I love about Texas is Mm -hmm. the weather for sure. Like you said, the drama.
0: There's a lot of drama. It's power. It's like energy. Yeah. Did you start digging into the weather here? Yes. How did you dig into it? Was it like internet learning or talking to people or what?
1: Yeah. I mean, social media, internet, talking to people, observing it myself. Because I'm not a science person. Apart from medicine, I'm not into physics or I didn't take any of those classes in high school or college. For me, it is, like you said, the drama. There's so much math and science involved with meteorology. But that just, it doesn't really interest me that much. It's it's the drama of, okay, you know, we've got this warm, humid air rolling in from the Gulf of Mexico and this cold front crashing down from the north. It's like mm-hmm. the battle of the century about to go down, you know. <laughs> and then just to sit, sit there and watch it unfold as it literally explodes and these huge thunderclouds roll out.
0: As you started learning about it, did you find that you're using like other people's models and just kind of... Like watching the Weather Channel?
1: No, Weather Channel's trash. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. Is it? No, I mean it's not trash. It's just.
0: Well, I guess it's not local. They're not right. good at it. It's not local, local. Mm-hmm. and it's
1: you know most of the Weather Channel now is just like reality TV shows.
0: That's true. Yeah. Which bothers me. Yeah. Because I want to just watch the weather. <laughs> when something big's going on, they always go to the place and like a hurricane. The hurricanes especially, because yeah. they have time to set up their shops and yeah. all that.
1: But you know they name winter storms winter storms are not named hurricanes are named by the weather service winter storms are not
0: they just started doing that yeah it's
1: like you know everyone talks about the big freeze they call it winter storm uri or whatever Uh that was from the weather channel (laughs) really yes (laughs) no
0: so it's not like an official national name or something right fascinating
1: but no the weather channel is fine it's just you got to go to hyper local sources to get reliable information and we have really good Meteorologists in our local Austin, San Antonio office. And we've got some great, just local meteorologists, Jim Spencer, Chicago Windler. They're just, they've been here for a long time and they know what they're talking about. Uh, And then there's just other people, like local people I follow on social media. They're meteorologists. They either work in the private sector. There's a lot of things you can do with a meteorology degree. You can Mm -hmm. work in the corporate world for business, insurance, risk management, things like that. There's people out there that have a ton of knowledge and Post all just to help people.
0: Do they talk out their thought process about like you were talking about the, the humid air and then the <laughs> cold coming down and like, have you picked up the science of it or do you tune into it and then pass that along to EMS people because you're so tuned into the network of.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's more of a passing along than, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't pretend to know that much because there's years of schooling that you need to go through to fully understand all the intricacies of it. But I'm starting to learn more and more. I mean, I, I read a lot, but Again, there's just so much science. It interests me to a point that it doesn't.
0: Well, it seems like very tech now, right? They've got all these oh, yeah. instruments and model, oh, yeah. models. I hear, always hear them talking about models.
1: Models, yeah. The models The models are impressive. Sometimes they're dead on. Like with the, the tornado that we had here in mm-hmm. March, I posted some of the models and they were pretty dead on with where the storms were going. I honestly didn't think there was going to be a tornado. I thought we were just going to have big hail. And then I was at work and we were watching the live stream on on kxcn and there goes the tornado across 35 and 45 and i was like oh my goodness my jaw literally dropped we were stationed east of there ran out and you could literally see it coming
0: whoa field of view yes i can
1: i can now say that i have seen a tornado with my eyes
0: wow i have not really no it seems like it goes around austin like it never hits austin yeah people
1: joke about like the dome
0: Maybe it's like a hill country thing, like there's enough hills on the west side of Austin.
1: Yeah, it could be the escarpment.
0: So when you were on shift and saw it, that was in your service area? Yeah. So did you guys go to houses and mm-hmm. do stuff? Yeah. And do you live close to there? Yes. Oh. Were you, Was your family at home? Yeah. Were you texting with them and communicating with them?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I knew that they were, they were far enough away because I could see... I was watching the radar very closely, watching the velocity, and I could see the direction it was going. So I generally knew that they were going to be fine. But I was texting a lot of other people, like, get inside right now. I don't know anyone that was directly affected, but I know a lot of people that, you know, friends of friends. And that's another thing that just blows my mind. It's like one house completely roof gone, basically unlivable, condemned, Mm -hmm. destroyed. And one house over, they're missing one shingle and that's it, you know? Right. Like what <laughs> what? That's, yeah. You know, a lot of people when they think of tornadoes, they just think of this constant swirl of air. It's a lot more than just air, right? It's wind spinning at a tornadic force. But then what's actually happening is like there's like these pulses. You'll get like a you know, the velocity, the spin going, and all of a sudden it'll just pulse up real mm-hmm. quick and the wind will, will hit really hard. And that I think that's why you get one house, one house, one house, and then everything in between is fine. But yeah, it was it was a wild day. I was just thinking back yesterday on all the weather events I've been on in my career, from that day to the to the freeze I was on working and Memorial Day floods twenty fifteen. That was unbelievable day. We had water encroaching into the station and at one point I opened the front door. There's probably eight to ten inches of water on the ground and it was probably about an inch, maybe two inches away from coming into the station. And I open the door and I'm just watching the rain, watching the water rise. And here comes this giant rat snake. Whoa. And he just comes straight up to the front door of the station. We looked each other in the eyes. And he's like, <laughs> help me, bro. I know. I was
0: gonna say, He's probably looking for... Yeah.
1: Safety. He didn't want to drown. Yeah. But then I just shut the door.
0: I I <laughs> hope you didn't help him. No.
1: And yeah, that, that day was wild. I mean, just driving around, well, where we could get to, where mm-hmm. the roads weren't flooded over, but...
0: So have you ever gotten in your car off-duty, obviously, to go see a tornado or try?
1: Yes. I haven't been successful. But, yeah, I get in my car all the time and grab my camera. And you, where I live, there's kind of a big hill near my house. And so I drive up there, and there's nice panoramic views. So
0: It's good to get on a hill during the middle of a thunderstorm, yeah. I've heard. It's real safe. Yeah.
1: Well, there's radio towers, so I'll <laughs> strike them before they strike me. <laughs>
0: We had hail here a couple of nights ago.
1: Really? Yeah. Yeah, that storm the other night was wild. There was so much wind.
0: Jeez. Do you know how big hail has to be to dent your car? Or does it vary?
1: I think it has to be like ping pong ball size. Mm-hmm. When you really start getting to that ping pong ball size, mm-hmm. egg size, orange, baseball, softball. The biggest hailstone ever to fall was, uh, in, I think it was in South Dakota, but the, the one in Hondo, Texas, down by San Antonio... That may have broken the record. That was a couple years ago. And that one actually came through the roof into someone's living room. I mean, and we're talking. And it was all gnarly and jagged with Mm -hmm. protrusions and stuff. I mean, but if that hits you, that would kill you.
0: It's like basketball size is what you just showed me.
1: Well, that was an exaggeration. I think it weighed like over a pound. Wow. That's why they tell you to like get in your bathtub and put a helmet on if you have a helmet.
0: The day of the tornadoes, I was thinking about that I have a little bicycle helmet.
1: Yeah, no, seriously.
0: I know. Oh, and you know what? Another really good piece of advice that I got from the Weather Channel. They said, as this starts um, evolving, they said put on shoes in case you have to. Yes. I am a 45-year-old woman who's been through many storms, and I've never thought about that.
1: Shoes, wallet, phone, charger.
0: That is actually the most practical advice (laughs) I've ever gotten. Hummingbird. I heard it. If I turn, it might go away. So do your coworkers look for you for advice on weather events?
1: I feel like they look to me. I hope they do. I get a lot of people that I don't necessarily like keep up with in person, but we're, you know, friends on social media Mm -hmm. and they'll come up to me if we see each other and they'll say, I don't even watch the news anymore. I just, I follow Tadar.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is that what we're calling it? Yes.
1: (laughs) I did not come up with that. Someone else did.
0: I do. Because you... You tell me a little bit before the news tells us. I've noticed that I hear it from you and then like maybe twenty four hours later it becomes more of an official story. Well,
1: they're pretty conservative with you know, I I take more risks. Yeah. <laughs> so the freeze, I posted some projections on, you know, the extended period of freezing temperatures and the snow that we were gonna get. It was just insane what some of the models were, were mm-hmm. saying. And so I I posted some of that completely thinking that this is not gonna happen. And then it did. You know, we ended up with six days and twenty hours of below freezing temperatures. Broke what, all kinds of records.
0: Was that along the lines of what you had said or what you had heard and passed along that it was gonna be a week long like that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, there was there was one model that I remember sharing that said it was gonna be eight consecutive days of below freezing, like sustained below freezing. And I was like, There's no way this is gonna happen, you know? Mm-hmm. But it did. It did. It did. Because, again, we had that nice snow in January. We were all coming off of that like, oh, it's going to be fun. Yeah. We'll get another snow. But no, this wasn't just snow. This was ice and then snow and then more ice and then more snow. And it's still cold. And then it's even colder. And now it's three degrees. I don't think anybody saw, saw it coming the way that it came. I don't think anybody could have, you know, outside of people that in the meteorology industry and in the energy and power industry – I don't think anybody could have foreseen the way it happening like it did
0: but you thought it would because the people you trusted meteorologists were saying it
1: i don't know if i really believed that it was going to happen like that mm-hmm. but more and more corroboration of the models and i guess what i'm saying is i didn't realize what it was going to be like having not grown up in snowy conditions at all having never really experienced prolonged freezing temperatures you know you don't know what that's like until you spend a week there I had a fire going most of the time
0: Gas or logs? Logs. Me too. Although I was saving a lot of the wood that I had because I didn't know if the electricity was going to go out. So
1: Well, so that's the thing. It's like nobody knew when it was going to get better. And that was a lot of the fear. And was just the uncertainty. of When are we going to be done with this? You know.
0: After we recorded this episode, another ice storm hit our area. The big story of this freeze was the ice accumulation on the trees. This resulted in large limbs and trees dropping onto power lines and disrupting electricity to many homes. And in particular, the live oaks were affected because they don't lose their leaves until spring. The heavy ice on the leaves snapped branches all over central Texas. Listen in to this two-minute song Taylor wrote to commemorate those trees lost. And if you listen closely, you can hear his daughter harmonizing with him at the end.
2: crash and I went outside my door to my surprise that old live oak was no more three days of freezing rain you tried the best you could but the weight of all that ice was more than you I remember back to springtime when the birds and the squirrels would perch up in your branches Their own treetop world Now you're bent and you're broken, a sorry twisted sight I'll give you your due honor and use you for warmth and light
1: going to the grocery store beforehand and just getting essential stuff that's an interesting dichotomy right? It's like before the event my experience was everyone was fend for yourself like you know people were cutting each other off for parking spots. I had a guy flip me off for trying to get into a parking spot and he thought it was his parking spot and then you go into the store and it's just insane and everyone's like just grabbing everything for themselves and loading up their cart and taking way more than they need And then you get into the actual event and then you get a bunch of people out helping, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like, okay, as as long as I know I'm safe and my family is safe, Mm -hmm. then I guess that's where like the primal self-preservation human nature part comes in. And then it's you feel comfortable to go help people, I guess. But I know a lot of people had a really terrible time during that. I had the time of my life because we never lost power. Mm -hmm. We never lost, you know, water. I have a four wheel drive vehicle. Mm -hmm. So I was having so much fun. Yeah.
0: A lot of people did have a lot of hard hard times. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to hear that Like when you had to go off to work, that your family was in a house that was...
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, there's no way I would have had any fun at all. Yeah. And we, we had some family staying with us who didn't have power or water. So I'm glad we were able to help them.
0: Did they come over for that reason?
1: Yeah. And just getting to our house was a challenge because the roads. Ask
0: if you went in your car to get them, or if they had a. Uh,
1: I think I went and like escorted them with my vehicle.
0: Did your all of your stations stay operational? Mm-hmm. Do you have generators?
1: Uh, I think they do now. I think that was a big like after-action thing that came out. Yeah, I don't think any any of our stations lost power. I think some of them lost water,
0: which is a huge deal. Oh yeah, obviously hydration, but then also just the whole like. Um
1: Hygiene and... Hygiene. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I enjoyed it the first couple of days, and then I went to work, and it wasn't as fun anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. We just had so many calls, like everybody did, I'm sure. But just logistically, it was a nightmare just getting the stretcher up to someone's house. We're so used to doing our job in our comfortable environment of, you know, well, it's seen with firefighters and our all of our helpers, or in the ambulance where it's air conditioned and we've got these... Bright LED lights, but it's like as soon as you take that away and you throw something else in the mix, it definitely throws you off. When I'm off duty and someone, you know, roll up on an action or something, I just feel so like out of place Mm because I don't have my. I tell students this and it's kind of cliche, but it's definitely true. When you are in your uniform, you're playing a role. And when you deviate from your normal routine of operating in that role, whether it's being off duty or having to do your job in environments that are completely outside of the norm for you it definitely can throw a wrench in just the way you think and and operate and it takes a lot of I don't know if competency is the right word but it just it takes a lot of
0: yeah it's kind of like expertise so competency just means you can do your job yeah. when things are routine but then when you as you were saying like change one little mm-hmm. factor a real expert is the one that can, can be like okay I've got this model I'm just gonna lay this new thing on top and work within these rules.
1: Right, exactly, to be able to adapt all the things that you already know to this new environment.
0: Could people get to work?
1: No. So we had lots of people holding over, working 48s who were already exhausted, and it it was tough, for sure.
0: Did you have to work extra?
1: I had to work extra because I didn't have any relief the next day until, like, I don't know, 11 or noon, but that was it. And then I have a picture on my phone from four days after you know, the end of the freezing temperature and I was standing in a river in shorts and it was 85 degrees outside.
0: <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. It was like it never, I mean, it wasn't like it never happened, but it was like, did that just happen? Yeah. That's right. It did. I had forgotten about that part. Mm-hmm. It just went back to normal. Yeah. It went
1: back to hot. <laughs> I took a selfie just to document how absolutely ridiculous it is that here I am in waiting in water in February And everything was a complete frozen wasteland four days ago.
0: (laughs) I think the meteorologists have a hard job here because it's all over the place.
1: Yes. It is hard. It's very hard to be a meteorologist here because a lot of times the the disturbances come out of northern Mexico and we have no weather data from there. We have some models, but.
0: Oh, I never thought about that.
1: Yeah. We're really good at predicting like the cold fronts that come down from the north because we have the whole rest Mm -hmm. of the country. You know, Mm -hmm. launching weather balloons and gathering data. But when they come from the west over Mexico, it's just kind of a guessing game. That's a lot of the reason I love weather. It's like there's very predictable rules. If the wind is from the south, Mm -hmm. it's going to be warm and humid. If the wind is from the north, it's going to be cool and dry. But then you throw in a cold front and you throw in a hurricane and you throw in a dry line converging with a cold front. And then all of a sudden you have tornadic supercells dropping baseball-sized hail
0: Well, that was kind of one of the things I wanted to ask you was kind of meteorology as a metaphor for our work in EMS. Do you find they're similar?
1: I was thinking about the similarities, not of like meteorology in general and paying attention to the weather, but like of storm chasing Mm -hmm. and EMS. Both of them involve some adrenaline, some risk, some thrills. And with storm chasing, you're kind of pre-planning. You're looking at the models ahead of time. You're planning where you're going to physically go to see the storms. Um, you're looking at the roads that are that are in that area. You're planning your routes. You're planning what, what you're going to bring. And then you get there, and everything could change in a second. Mm-hmm. The tornado could take a left-hand turn. Power lines could be down, and the route you were going to go is now impassable. And mm-hmm. you've got to adapt in the moment to be able to get in a good position to get the footage that you want or just to see what you want to see. And I think that's one of the biggest similarities to EMS is you know, we have – this big bank of base knowledge and pathophysiology and pharmacology and anatomy. And we know all these things and we pre-plan for all these different types of disease processes, right? We have these protocols that we know by heart and we study and we take tests on every year. And then you're put into these situations and it's like, wait a minute, they don't exactly fit one of these. Mm -hmm. And you have to adapt in the moment to be able to accomplish the goal of treating the patient effectively. With storm chasing, you're, First foremost thought is your personal safety because you're putting yourself in the direct path of a very violent storm that could mm-hmm. easily kill you and has killed multiple storm chasers over the years. Hmm. I didn't know that. I think it was the El Reno tornado in Oklahoma. Tim Samaras was a pretty famous storm chaser. He was 2013. His storm chasing vehicle was thrown hundreds of feet into the air mm. and came crashing down. So uh. He was an older, very wise and experienced storm chaser. That was just in the absolute wrong place and had nowhere to go. There was muddy fields on either side of him, you know, uh-huh. Oklahoma, just these farm roads with a lot of agriculture and he couldn't he couldn't get out. He died, unfortunately. But with EMS, more often it's the patient's life that is the direct concern, right? Obviously it is dangerous and we are you know, no scene is ever truly safe, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's definitely risk involved with both and immediate life safety, whether it's your own or your patients. Just being able to think dynamically in the moment and adapt. Going back to what we were talking about at the beginning with people that we say, well, maybe they're not quite cut out for 911. From that inability to adapt, make those, you know, literally immediate decisions Mm -hmm. on what's going to happen.
0: Do you think they are unable or unwilling to make decisions? If you know what I mean by the difference, like cognitively unable, like they just can't do that like... um deductive reasoning and all that stuff or are they just because of their temperament they don't want to
1: i think they're unwilling i've told multiple students this uh, and you know new employees that i've been training it's like just make a decision i would so much rather you be incorrect and make the wrong decision than make no decision and just stand there because if you make the wrong decision we at least have a place to start from
0: a bad decision still disrupts the system it's like you're poking at it just Mm -hmm. to see okay oh now there's all this new data you're probing Mm -hmm.
1: but if you just stand there not much to work with there no it just blows my mind that there's people there'll be a light amazing lightning storm outside and they're just like sitting inside at the station i'll do this a lot like guys (laughs) have you seen this light (laughs) light show out here like, oh, yeah, cool. And then go back to the TV. Like, I, no!
0: I wonder if it's because they grew up with it. Maybe. And you didn't. I didn't. Although I grew up with it, and I still love it. Because it doesn't come as often here. Yeah. So when it does happen, I want to I capitalize on it.
1: Well, it's just like you said earlier. It's like the raw power. It makes you realize, I guess, how vulnerable we are. We've done a lot as human beings to master our environment and make our lives easier and and more comfortable. But then a tornado comes through Mm -hmm. and it destroys your home and flips your life upside down. And it didn't pick you and you had no say in it. It just happened, you know? Right. That's one of the amazing things about weather and why I love it so much is it is, it's one of the things we as humans experience universally. Yeah. It's like, we are both sitting out here and in this nice weather Mm -hmm. on your deck and we are both experiencing the same weather. I I just like that consistency that, you know, everybody knows what rain is and Mm -hmm. and heat and cold and thunder and lightning.
0: And it's what people talk about, you know, you hear about talking about the weather because it's something except for climate change. I was thinking about it this morning that people will say, do you know that saying where it's like um, instead of talking politics or religion, like we'll just just talked about the weather. Yeah,
1: there's a reason. You know, the weather is the cliche small talk thing to talk about, right? It's because it is a universally shared experience. If you have nothing in common with someone. Yes. That you can still talk about the weather. Because you,
0: you know they're experiencing it.
1: Yeah. You you are 100% certain that they are also standing here with you experiencing <laughs> the same weather that you are.
0: <laughs> I mean, I think the climate change uh, has definitely been debated and political. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, it's like this thing that's other, right? It's not our creation. It's just this other thing. That we are not in control of, so whereas like politics, religion, school shootings, all these things we can differ in our um, what we think the solution is. Right. But when a tornado comes through, it's like we literally are just, as you said, vulnerable. Like we're all in a shared vulnerable yeah. state where no one's responsible.
1: And this after the tornado, like the way the communities came together was so cool to see. Literally hundreds of people mm-hmm. volunteering from church groups and community groups and just everyone coming together it's like there's not a lot of other things that will universally draw people together to help Mm -hmm. like a natural disaster
0: during the freeze around here I'm in a hilly part of Austin there was a person driving around with a four by four truck and he had a bunch of kitty litter and was just helping people get their cars unstuck for no compensation just I think he was just literally enjoying helping others It was neat to watch because I, I had walked to the grocery store and I was watching this guy at this intersection getting all these people unstuck. You oh.
1: walked? Did you fall in the ice?
0: I did. <laughs> you know what? That's funny that you say that because I did fall. You did?
1: Yeah. A lot of people fell. I did fall. thats a, I think that's the number one call type that we went to mm-hmm. during that week was just so many falls. And it's like some people got really hurt. Yeah. Like really hurt.
0: So I wish I could say that I fell when I was going to the grocery store, but I was actually taking my kid to slide down this big hill. Cassie had told me, she's like, do not walk on the ice. No. I was like, I'm fine. Like, I've walked on ice before. I kind of had to hang my head down and be yeah. like, I fell on the ice.
1: Well, what was so wild is that there was a layer of ice, then a layer of snow, then another layer of ice, oh. and then like frozen rain. So many layers of treachery. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Are you slow to post stuff because you're worried you're gonna be wrong, or do you just post everything you think?
1: I used to be a lot more reckless, and then when I realized that people are like actually listening, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I really realized that when i i was I started getting people like texting me and messaging me like, "Hey, my cousin has a birthday party." in two weeks at this place what's the weather going to be like it's Mm -hmm. like okay people are actually listening and i Mm -hmm. I should probably be more careful with what i say because in the beginning it was just fun to post like these wild crazy models and say like look what might happen but then it transitioned into more like oh people are actually kind of relying on me
0: now before you post you think to yourself like what's the likelihood of this happening or you say within the post there is this amount of likelihood
1: i don't ever say this is going to happen i'll say i think this might happen sometimes i'm wrong a lot of times I'm wrong, I think.
0: It's fun when you're right, though. It is fun. Uh-huh.
1: And that was f- what was fun about the freeze. I mean, that week wasn't fun, but mm-hmm. I posted that wild model saying it was going to be below freezing for eight days, and then it was six days and 20 hours. And I think that's when a lot of people were like, oh.
0: So how far in advance did people predict that, or did you kind of get wind of it and start sharing it with others?
1: So after that first snow in January, I posted probably probably the third week of January, that it was going to snow again in February. And so that was like three weeks out from the ice storm. And that was obviously a super long range model, but I saw it kept getting shared on from my sources, but I don't think any anyone really thought it was going to happen like it did.
0: Do you spend more time researching the weather when you're off of work, researching the weather or learning about changes in medicine? <laughs>
2: the weather. <laughs>
0: That's not surprising.
1: <laughs> I mean... You said when I'm off of work. I did. Yeah. Basically, my whole Twitter is weather. (laughs) But yeah. I mean, I listen to your podcast and other other EMS podcasts, but I think I definitely spend more time reading about weather, both on and off duty.
0: (laughs) Yeah. we got downtime. It's good. Is most of this info about weather being communicated in written blog type format, like words? Or is there a whole podcast world or video world?
1: Video there's definitely a growing video not only with actual storm chasing but just like someone sitting down in front of a computer sharing their screen like breaking down the models which yeah that helps me a layperson a lot understand but yeah a lot of it's blog posts a lot of it's just little snippets there's a guy i follow on twitter who he's a meteorologist and he's right a lot of times but it drives me crazy because he'll just post one sentence on twitter And not explain anything or break it down. So then I have to go delve into it on my own and try and find other sources because I've tried to ask him directly and he doesn't
0: respond. He doesn't interact. He's keeping all that info to himself. He needs to share. Yeah. Teach.
1: He's kind of crotchety.
0: Oh. But he's right a lot. (laughs) He's right a lot. (laughs) That's why you put up with him. Yeah. Is he a Texas person or just a national person?
1: Yeah, he lives in Austin. Oh. Yeah, he's a meteorologist. He has a master's in meteorology, or so his Twitter bio says. (laughs) (laughs) But he won't really engage people. He'll just post little snippets and then not respond to people's questions. He'll comment on other TV meteorologists and Mm -hmm. say, like, you're wrong. (laughs) But he won't, like, explain his position. It would be so interesting to
0: talk to him. I bet he's a total character.
1: Yeah, I think he is.
0: So who could people follow for weather? I mean, do you want to say who he is? What's his Twitter? Um, who could I follow?
1: I don't know if you want to follow him because he's pretty political, too. Got it. It's it's pretty irritating, yeah, I don't want anything to do with that. I wish it was just weather, but...
0: Yeah, he needs to keep it on the weather.
1: Yeah. Avery Tomasco is, hands down, the most entertaining. He's on CBS, Austin. And he posts hilarious stuff, memes, and he makes GIFs and TikToks. And he's actually really good. He's, he knows what he's talking about.
0: Do you ever think about switching careers or what you're going to do after you retire? Not really. Yeah, I don't either.
1: <laughs> I love being a paramedic. It's such a fun job. Not all the time. I think a lot of people lose that. I've been in EMS for 13 years, a paramedic for 10 you have to constantly appreciate it it's like a skill that if you let it degrade you'll lose that appreciation because i think it's so easy to just get so used to the job that you don't remember and realize how important you are to that person that's calling you just like i'm oh, going on another call it's like no this person and sure sometimes it may it may be someone that you know called you three hours ago for the same thing
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: <laughs> but you have to constantly remind yourself of The value and worth of this profession
0: yeah it takes being purposefully thinking about what's good about it yeah because if you don't like make intentionally like think about what you like about it i could see how it well we all know how burnout happens one of the ways i think about it and i'm not in the field anymore but i think about it as being an educator is i just think uh what if somebody told me today that i couldn't do my job anymore for whatever reason right Mm. that would be terrible
1: it would be terrible
0: like you would miss it so much i would I would miss mine like crazy.
1: Yeah, I would too. It's such a part of who I am. I mean, basically, since I've been an adult, I've been in, involved in EMS in some way. And it's a big part of my identity. And if all of a sudden you took that away from me, I would be probably pretty lost for a while. I mean, yeah. I'd probably figure it out. but.
0: So have you ever been in severe weather where you had property damaged or you felt afraid for your safety?
1: Not in Texas. But in San Diego, you know, fires are they are just a part of life. They're kind of like thunderstorms where, you know, everyone experiences thunderstorms here. Everyone experiences fires in in all of California, really. Uh, When I was about eight or nine, there was a huge fire that rolled through. We had like these tall windows in uh, one of the upstairs rooms of the house I grew up in. And I remember my dad lifting me up to look out the window. It was probably three or four in the morning. The entire hillside was just bright orange and red on fire mm-hmm. and you could just see it creeping down towards our neighborhood. And it was probably a mile and a half, two miles as the crow flies. And so that was definitely scary. So we packed everything in the car that we could and we were ready to evacuate, but we never actually had to, thankfully. Fires are wild. I mean unlike thunderstorms and tornadoes, how they're they pop up and then they're gone. You can see them coming and you start seeing the big column of smoke and it gets closer mm-hmm. and closer and closer and then the sky turns like this apocalyptic orangey mm-hmm. dusky gray color and then the sun goes down and the fire just makes everything glow it's terrifying everything gets coated in ash so but no i mean never had uh, wind damage hill damage never been personally affected thankfully
0: and when you were a kid you said you were eight or nine yeah did you think then that you were gonna go on to be a paramedic firefighter
1: no no i had no idea until i was in college wasn't on my radar at all
0: but while you were in college, before your father-in-law said, y'all are moving to Texas, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess you thought you were going to be fighting those wildfires.
1: Oh, yeah. Once I was going down that career path uh, and I had it in my mind that I was going to be a fire medic. That's fun. I mean, I like the hiking aspect and yeah. all that, but its I mean, it is hard manual labor.
0: The birds are going to town.
1: Mm, that's nice. Have you, have you ever been personally affected by severe weather?
0: I was wondering if you were going to ask me that. Um... No, I did watch lightning strike a huge pine tree in our front yard that had the treehouse in it. And then we watched it fall. because just happened to The be whole looking. tree fell? hmm Wow. You know, I was, again, like eight or nine like you. And watching that treehouse just crash to the ground, that was pretty crazy. Lightning
1: terrifies me, honestly.
0: I guess it should.
1: Like more than a tornado or a hurricane. Like lightning is scary because mm-hmm. there's literally no warning other than other lightning that you see and thunder mm-hmm. that you hear. But have you heard of, like, bolts bolts from the blue? Mm. Or you can be miles and miles away from the storm itself, ah. and you can have literal blue skies above your head and mm. lightning can strike.
0: The freeze, you told people on social media it was coming. Do leaders within your department, are they connected to you, or did were there any, like, preparatory discussions?
1: I mean, I know that our communication center is tied in with the National Weather Service. If I think it's going to be, if something's going to be really bad, I, I'll i text some of our senior people, but usually they already know. Sometimes they'll text me and say, Hey, is this really going to be what, really? what they're saying it is? Yeah.
0: That's what I wanted to hear.
1: But then that puts me in like, Oh, I don't yeah. want to make that decision for the whole department. You know? Right.
0: Do you preface it that way? I don't want to make the decision. Or do you just I'll make just the decision?
1: Vague. No, I'll be vague. But we did an after action for the tornado day.
0: Who, who did the after action?
1: Uh, It was like a team video chat, and everyone that was on shift that day did it, talked about what worked and what didn't. By the time that that storm actually got a tornado warning assigned to it, it was already on the ground. So that's one of the things I brought up is like, you're not always going to have time to prepare. I mean, we knew that these storms were coming, and we knew that, that they had the potential to be bad, but... You can't just rely on a tornado warning. You have to be prepared even before that, just at the risk. You know, we had a tornado watch, which is when you have the ingredients for the tornado, but there's not actually a tornado. And then when you get the warning, that means there's literally a tornado. All the ingredients can be there, and you can have a tornado watch set up, and nothing happens. And sometimes there, is, there isn't even a tornado watch, and tornadoes can spin up. I don't think there's a lot you can do from a preparation standpoint other than just having all the latest information and paying attention because that's the biggest thing, just paying attention. I mean, so many people were just driving around. It's like you saw on the live stream of the tornado going over that major highway thoroughfare. Just people driving around. Yep. It's like, what? Did you not have? Anyway, <laughs> that, that frustrates me.
0: Understandably.
1: But no, I'm I'm in no official weather capacity with my department.
0: But I am interested in how paramedics have these little side kind of interests, and it does end up benefiting the department or
1: yeah. One thing I do want to delve into at some point in my career is is drone operations because I have my commercial drone pilot's license and I do like real estate photography with with my drone. Um, And there's just so many applications for drones Well, in really everything, but especially EMS.
0: I saw a video of one of the tornadoes from a drone and I'd never seen a tornado from that perspective.
1: Isn't that crazy?
0: You may have even been the one that shared it. it. Yeah. Yeah. That was so cool.
1: Yeah.
0: It was like. Oh, I didn't know it looked like that. It's just a different vantage point. Yeah. Thank you so much for this. You're welcome. This, this is, is fun. It's been so fun for me because I actually like the weather too.
1: Good. I think more people should like the weather.
0: Well, it would get them in touch with nature. I
1: think. Yeah. And I I don't know why. I I guess you're right. Maybe they just grew up with storms being a part of their life, and there's yeah, whatever. Another storm.
0: Mm-hmm, maybe.
1: I love them. I I literally get so excited. Have you seen that meme? It's like dads anytime there's a thunderstorm and it's like standing outside like leaning against the wall with the, hand, the other hand on the hip and just looking at it. That's you. Yeah, that's totally me.
0: Mm-hmm. You did post something recently. You're like, now this is a storm. The one the other night.
1: It woke yeah. me up and I just. It was so great. I wanted to be outside watching it, but the wind was bl- like literally blowing the rain sideways and I was mm-hmm. getting all wet. So I was like, oh, I guess i go. That's when the hail came into here. Yeah guess I'll go inside. (laughs) Boring. Hello. Oh, you sound good. You can hear my voice?
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. You want want to hear it? Yeah. Hello. Oh, wow. You can wear them. No, I don't. If that's more normal for you. No, this
1: is definitely not normal. (laughs) (laughs) Wow.
0: Interesting. So, that was good. <laughs> For years, I've encouraged paramedics to get degrees. But when I carefully listened to the stories of paramedics, I realized there are challenges that have to be addressed. Things like 2448s, childcare, mortgages. I'm pleased to share that I have an answer that matches what I know about the working paramedic who tells me they are ready to pursue a degree. Eastern Kentucky University offers a bachelor's in emergency medical care that is 100% online and allows college credit for existing state or national registry certifications. EKU is a nationally known program, and I trust them to take good care of medic mindset listeners who want to start their journey toward a degree. You can go to the show notes for this episode for a link, or simply use go.eku.edu backslash medic to get started.